0: This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. I'm, I'm nervous. Pray for me, please. Uh, I'm, I'm really honored that, like I said before, I'd be trusted to come and do this because really, I'm like, I'm 25, I've been doing ministry for like six or seven years but really that's just been a lot of the lord like working on me being an intern and stuff and there's there's really a lot of people in this room that should be up here teaching me something (laughs) and so i i don't take it lightly is what i'm saying that i have the opportunity to do this and i really really prayed a lot and put in the time on what i felt like the lord wanted to say this morning so Um, Billy Graham said this, I was listening to another pastor this week and he was quoting, uh, he was quoting Billy Graham that you're never preaching until the audience hears another voice. And I don't think that he means that literally, like I'm not preaching until Sully hears the audible voice of God speaking to him. But I think it's just a cool image. And that's my prayer this morning that guys, you would see straight past me because I've really, really, really seriously taken time to pray this week. And what I'm going to say this morning, I feel like is straight from the heart of God. And I feel like he has it for this body. So if you're sitting in a chair in here, it's for you. Listen, give me the next 30, 40 minutes, and just see straight to the heart of God and what he wants to wants to say to us this morning. I believe it's good. Um, I think it would be much easier to get up here and just preach something that's like a hoorah and everyone feels good. And it's not that. Um, but I think that what can take place in the ripple effect, if we can take this to heart and let it bear fruit in our lives, is beautiful. And we'll see a, a really mighty God work here in Thomaston. So here's my opening statement. We, as the Church of Christ, are responsible, and I put it in all caps, responsible to be light in a dark world, to present hope to the lost. Like Anton was saying last week, to throw them a hope rope. To stand in the gap, to be full of the Holy Spirit, and to walk the opposite direction in boldness and in love when the whole world is walking in the wrong direction. I'm gonna read it one more time. We as the Church of Christ, I believe we are responsible, not just it's an option, we're responsible excuse me, to be light in a dark world, to present hope to the lost, stand in the gap, to be full of the Holy Spirit, and to walk the opposite direction in boldness and in love when the whole world is walking in the wrong direction. C.S. Lewis said this, I was listening to a pastor this week, and he quoted this, when the whole world is running towards the edge of a cliff, he who runs in the opposite direction seems to have lost his mind. And I think we're responsible to a little bit, to this world, look like we've lost our mind. It's our responsibility. Romans 12, 2 says it like this. He'll put it on the screen. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. We've all heard this. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Here's the kicker. Here's my favorite part that maybe you haven't heard before. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And what that's saying is, yes, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind because then you will be able to approve and test what God's will is. We'll be able to carry out the God work he wants us to do here. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're going to talk about that. But the point is we have a job. So if you're a believer in this room, you sit here and you say you are a son or a daughter of the king. It's not just something, a club that you've joined. You now, whether you like it or not, have joined a fight. There, You have a responsibility this morning. So that will take us to our first point, and we're going to build. If this feels like it's way off topic, I promise it will make sense. First point. You are a member of the royal family and a child of the king. Yeah, that's good. You are a member of the royal family and a child of the king. So I don't know if you were just raised in church. Some of, like There's people in here that have been a part of this building for, like, ages. Um, but there's, it's, you weren't, you're not just a part of a club. You're a part of a royal family when you were adopted into sonship and you're a child of the king. There's still this is this was prevalent long ago in, in kingdoms and um, but it's still prevalent a lot in, in the wet or the East like Japan, China and I really love those cultures. I'm a little obsessed. If you ask me like where could you go? You could take a trip right now, I would tell you Japan. And this is still a big thing there. Um, not just there, but also in Europe with the, the kings and the queens and whatever. It's this that there are family crests. So, like, all of us have heard the, the, like, about a family crest, but it's something that you wear. It's something that is on your buildings. It's something that waves on your flags. When people see it, they go, like, like when they see the City of Refuge logo, they go, oh, like that City of Refuge. They notice it by our logo, by our crest. I'm a big soccer fan. And so one thing you see a lot on, on soccer teams is, like, it's a really passionate, like, loyalty-type sport. And it's you still have players that bounce back and forth and whatever. But when people, obviously, in soccer, scoring is a lot less frequent than, like, football or basketball or whatever. So a lot of the time, you'll see someone score a goal, and the first thing they do, like, especially if they're playing in the opposing stadium, all of their fans will be in one section. They run to their fans, and they'll go... And they like they're like about to yank the jersey off their chest, and they're they're like hitting their chest, but they're hitting the crest. So it's their logo. Like Everton yesterday, they won finally, and not that you care, but the same exact same exact thing happened. They're playing on the road, they scored a goal. Dominic Calvert-Lewin is like one of their main guys. He's a star player. He runs to the fans in the corner. It it, it they showed this panorama of the stadium, and all of the all of the Burnley or the Burnmouth fans are sitting there like. Because Everton has just scored the third goal of the game and they know that Everton's winning this. They're all just sitting there and then it finally it pans to the corner where Everton is and it it's a riot. Like people like I don't even know how after what happened you would remember like where your seat was. People are jumping and throwing stuff and freaking out. But Dominic Calvert Lewin runs over to the corner, he runs to his people. He's grabbing the Everton crest and he's kissing it. He owns it. He's a part of that family and he's representing it well. So Ephesians 1.5 would say this. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. That last part is so good. When we're adopted through salvation, what I'm saying is we take on, we take on the name of God. We're wearing the crest now. We're his children, his heirs, and his ambassadors, ambassadors and our Father wants us to protect his name through our thoughts, our speech, and actions we are responsible for his perceived reputation on the earth because we're a part of the family now. Like when we were saved and we were adopted, so many people just wear the title of Christian. Like, well, that's what people do, right? We're supposed to be like, no, you wear the crest and you're representing it. And John one twelve. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. First Peter 2.9, but you're a chosen people, we've all heard this, a royal priesthood, excuse me, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. There's another verse, I didn't even put this in my notes, but another verse where it's you were, you're chosen, you're God's prized possession so that you can declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We have a responsibility. Romans 8. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Now here we go, get this part of this verse. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I'm gonna read it one more time. The Spirit, capital S, himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. You weren't just adopted into the family to take up an extra room in the house. You're a part of the fight now. You didn't just join the family. You joined the fight. So you have to share. If you're in this room and you call yourself a believer, this is the challenge this morning. You have to share in the sufferings of this fight your family is in. You wear the crest now. You have a responsibility. If you've been in church long enough, we've all heard and repeated at some point the term um, firm foundation. Raise your hand if you've heard someone in church say firm foundation, right? And it's a great principle, and I pray that every person in here, don't get me wrong, I'm not making fun. I I pray that every person in here has a firm foundation, especially after what we talk about today, that will propel you into kingdom work and eternity with them. But who here has also heard the old saying, maybe not in church, but who has heard the saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions? Yeah. So here's the main point I want to make today. If you haven't heard anything I'm say, I've am i said so far, hear this right now. When you join the family, you join the fight. And there was a road map left for us that's often for some reason treated as a garnish to the platter of our lives with Christ rather than a main ingredient. My point is this, the guys, if you really are grafted into this family and you've picked up the case of your father and are fighting side by side with your true brothers and sisters... Here's the point. This is the main thing we're talking about today. You had better know what the Word of God actually says. You had better know, in all caps I put, you had better know. You had better know what the Word of God actually says. A study by Arizona Christian Church, or Arizona Christian College, excuse me, in Glendale, Arizona, says this. So I, I did some digging on this because I didn't want to be presenting a bunch of crazy numbers that would be like, oh my gosh, and it just be total nonsense. What they've done is they've done this study about, um, you know, Christians in America, and but they themselves have averaged their results with several other churches and groups and Christian colleges that have done a study or a survey on the same thing. So I think that this survey is reliable. I think the numbers could fluctuate in any direction, but I think it's a reliable survey, and these numbers should alarm you. Today, 176 million Americans claim to be Christians, yet only 6% of U.S. adults, which is 9% of those claiming to be Christians, actually have a true biblical worldview. The study suggests that everyone has a worldview. This is what they mean by it defined as an intellectual, emotional, or a spiritual decision-making filter. So your worldview, what they would classify it as, is when you wake up in the morning, the filter that every piece of information is coming through that affects what decision you make as you're carrying out your day, carrying out your life, your job, what you do with your kids, what you do with your siblings, where you go to school, yada, yada. That's your worldview. The filter that everything passes through that affects your decision. So either intellectual, it's very just straight logical facts and evidence, or it's emotional, it's, all, it's purely based on like me and I'm my own whatever and how I feel affects my decisions, or it's spiritual, it's based on a faith, it's based on something that is a, a, a spiritual doctrine that is affecting the decisions of your life. I put this in bolded in my notes, and I say this with a heavy heart, truly. I don't say this to poke fun or to sound super spiritual. I think that if we had to say a sentence that would classify Christians in America specifically today and what they are and what they represent, remember, these are all people wearing the crest. It's our responsibility. We're responsible for his perceived reputation. There's 176 million Americans claiming to be Christian, and though many believe that they have a biblical worldview, I would say that very few actually do. So supposedly two out of three Americans consider themselves to be a Christian and do believe being a Christian is about what the Bible says. They claim that God is the all-knowing, all-powerful, perfect, and just creator of the universe who still rules today and will forever. But then in the same survey, here's the problem, and here's what we're talking about today. Then in the same survey, they communicate many firm beliefs, like they're asked questions, and it's a part of their identity. They very profoundly claim these things that are in no way harmonious with biblical teaching. So in one sentence, in one part of the conversation 30 seconds earlier, God is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the creator of everything, and he's the one on the throne, and he will be forever. But... Things like this in the same sentence. 66% today, guys, this is like, 66% of these self-identified Christians in America today would say that having faith matters more than which faith you pursue. Like, how have you, how have we got to that? 58% believe that if a person is good enough or does enough good things, they can earn their way into heaven. And 57% believe in the principle of karma. So by contrast, they have people in this survey that were placed in a group called integrated disciples. So these are the people that their beliefs and the things they're claiming really represent their actions and their convictions, and they're mostly aligning. But here's, here's the thing. This study, this is the category of people, the things I'm about to read, this is the category of people that they are calling integrated disciples. The ones that really mean it is basically it. 52% of those people argue that people are inherently good. This one should make you want to fight. of the people labeled as the integrated disciples in this survey would tell you they would contend with evidence and whatever that the Holy Spirit is not a real living being but is merely a symbol of God's power, presence, or purity. What? How have we read God's word and gotten there? That's my point this morning. If you think this is bad, the state of our world today, And what it looks like to be a believer, and there's certain criticisms and persecution in in other parts of the world, not necessarily in America. Guys, I think this is the tremors before the earthquake. If you think that this is as bad as it gets, and I don't say that to scare anyone. I don't say that because you guys have nothing to fear, sons and daughters of Christ. But what I'm saying is I don't think it's going to get easier to, like, be able to toe the line. You have to know what this says. You cannot just join the club and go, yes, and I'll read some stuff later that will we we'll just make you sick. But guys, we, ha- we have a responsibility. That's why I was saying everything about sonship earlier. We're responsible for his perceived reputation on the earth. We wear the crest. When people look at Nick and they, wear, they see the stuff I wear throughout the week, people would go, oh, Nick is from Cincinnati like Nick represents Cincinnati because he's worn a Reds t-shirt, he's worn a Bengals hoodie, he's worn an FC Cincinnati jersey, and he talks about Skyline Chili all the time. You know what I mean? Like I'm representing, they would know, guys, if you show up to church every morning or every Sunday morning and you're coming in the middle of the week and you call yourselves a Christian and you have a Bible on every side table in your house, guys, people know who they're looking at and you're representing it. You have to know what the Word of God says. In Matthew 4, Jesus is in the wilderness. We've all heard this story, but let's just visit it again. Um, Jesus is in the wilderness. He's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. So, of course, he is very, he's very hungry. And Satan sees his opportunity. Now's the time to pounce. Jesus is hungry. So he goes, you know, surely if you're the son of God, well, will then make these stones turn to bread. And this is what Jesus' response is. You know where I'm going with this. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. My point, the very next verse, the very next verse, Satan takes Jesus into the city, takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple and says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, that it is written that I put in bold here in my note. Jesus didn't say it that time. Satan said it to Jesus. My point is, with all those statistics that we just read, Satan knows how to take these words and distort them. He's not new to this game. So let's be clear. Just because someone says they're a Christian and says, well, it says in this little one-liner here, here's what it means. That doesn't mean that that's how it's supposed to be read. Guys, you, everyone sitting in a seat, you have to take everything back to the Word of God yourself. You you have a responsibility to know what it says. Not me know it for you. Not someone else in here teach you every Sunday and be filling you up. You hear people say that all the time. No, it's your responsibility. It's your responsibility to know what the Word of God says. And that is a hard principle to apply when you're, the only reason that you're we- reading the Word is because you should. How many people that in their early church life, whatever, like they were challenged to do something and, and they would say, like you did it and you did it really passionately for a week and a half and then it just kind of fell off because you were just checking off the box you know what i mean pastor so and so said to do this that's why i'm doing it and after a week it just got old reading the word of god in its entirety and knowing what it says and understanding it in context is a hard i mean that's a lot that's a lot to chew on if you're only doing it because like nick said you should you know what i mean so it takes us to our second point and it's not to read his words but to love them. So read it again. I know it sounds simple. Let it sit for a minute. Not to read his words, God's, but to love them. John 1 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All those capital W's. I would be lying if I even stood up here and told you I even know totally what that means. Like, that's something that kind of makes my head hurt a little bit, and it's beautiful, but what it's telling me at first glance is, there's power here. Second Timothy 3, 16 through 17, this is one of my favorite verses about scripture. There's so many, and I just grabbed a few, but all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. Guys, this isn't just a book. This isn't just a historical document of like leather and binding and words on a page. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may thoroughly may be thoroughly equipped for every good work we have a responsibility Matthew 4 4 we just read it but he answered it is written man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God Hebrews 4 12 for the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart guys that's powerful this isn't just a book Psalm 1. In men's group this past week, Pastor Jeff shared with us that um, Psalm 1 is his favorite chapter in the Bible, which is cool to know. You guys can have that information. Maybe he said it on a Sunday before. Uh, And it says basically like, blessed is the one who doesn't walk in the way of sinners and doesn't. But then it says this part right here. It's what we're going to focus on. But whose delight, it's beautiful, is in the law of the Lord. And who meditates on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Look, guys, not just to read his words, but to love them. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person, this part we read and we go, Oh, I want to be that. Well, look at the part before it. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And that's talking about the person whose delight is in this book that is not just a book, and who meditates on his law day and night. So, I want to tell you a story about a guy that I really admire and uh, I don't, maybe Grandma Faye has shared with some of the ladies or something about this guy. She's become a big fan of his. He's really awesome. His name's Pastor Tim Delina. Has anybody in here heard of him by chance? Yeah, just a couple. So the people that have heard of him are people from Church on Fire. Yeah, if you guys didn't notice, I'm sorry to get off track. Over here sitting in the back row is my friend David Dodoski from Cincinnati. He is a brilliant man. Don't leave today without getting to say hi to him and talk to him. Um, I'm glad that he's here, but but we're going to tell a story and pastor Tim from from Church on or at Church on Fire he was like an apostolic elder of the church and what that means is basically just that he was a guy that was kind of an overseer he would visit often he would speak sometimes and he would he was always allowed to call out things in the church he challenged the head pastors pastor Doug and Karen and he was always like be wary of this, be wary of this. He was encouraging them. But as a, as, a, as a ministry, they trusted Pastor Tim with being the overseer of it and always having, you know, the right to speak in. So Pastor Tim Delina, I got to, while I was an intern and on staff, I heard him speak a handful of times. He was the pastor of a few different churches, and now he's the pastor of Times Square Church in New York City. He's an amazing man. You can find his messages each week on Spotify and iTunes and stuff like that. If you're looking for sermons to listen to, he's brilliant. Uh, But anyway, here's a story. He tells this story, and I heard him tell it before, and I had to look. I had to, like, do some digging, and I found a message where he shared it again uh, this year, actually. And he tells this story about when he's going to Korea for a prayer meeting. So there's a there's a church in Korea, and forgive me, I don't remember the name of it, but there's an actual church in Korea that the member count of this church is like 1 million people. This is an actual like church on the earth that exists and operates every week. It's, a, it's it has a member count of about a million people. And this church was putting together this event where they were going to invite church leaders from all over the world to come and pray with them for a whole day. So it was a Saturday that they were all going to pray, and the number that they were trying to get to and they got there was one million people. So they they got one million people gathered in one area that obviously was a huge area in Seoul, Korea, and they were going to pray for the entire Saturday. So the Friday night before that, Pastor Tim is one of the people that was lucky enough to be invited to go to this. And he's on his way. And then, it's funny, the night before the prayer meeting, they were having a prayer meeting for the prayer meeting. (laughs) So Pastor Tim was either on his way to it or on his way um, home, his hotel. And uh, he sits next to a man, would you know it, in the middle of Seoul, Korea, all of these people. There's a man that's a young man who's a believer who pastors a church and speaks English. So, of course, Pastor Tim sits by him, and they're going to strike up conversation. Pastor Tim quickly finds out that this man is a pastor of a church in Korea, and he has recently planted a church. So, Pastor Tim asks him, how did that come about, you know? And he goes, well, I my church gave me 5,000 people to start a church plant with over in this area that needs a church. So, their church plant was 5,000 people. Like, it's bigger than the biggest church you can find around here, like, like, Christ Chapel's a huge church. Like, their church plant was, like, Christ chapel size. Like, they just, day one, and that's it's just crazy. And so, Pastor Tim, it, his ears are already kind of perked up to this man. Like, wow, God really trusts this man with something incredible. And so, he begins to ask him deeper questions, and he says, Well, sir, if you don't mind me asking, like, kind of, what does your week look like? Like, what's your, what do you do with, that's a lot of people to be trusted with. And in Korea, I know maybe... I don't know, like, what's your week look like? He finds out that this man has one day a week where he prays for 24 hours a day, in a day. So he prays for 24 hours straight at this one day in his week, and he does it every week. And Pastor Tim is, like, challenged and moved by this young pastor. And and he says, he describes the man as, like, a really young man. He was probably, like, Sully's age or something like that. A little bit older than me, maybe a little bit older than Sully, but a young man that's pastoring this church. This man once a week fasts and prays for 24 hours a day for his church and for what God is doing in Korea. And Pastor Tim is like, oh my gosh, Lord, like I thought I was coming here for a prayer meeting. Thank you for that. Like that challenges me. So Pastor Tim goes, I've got to know what he has to say about the word of God. Like if I ask this young man what his time reading looks like, what does he say? So he asks him and he goes, sir, well, I mean, forgive me if I'm intruding, but just tell me like what your personal time in the Lord looks like. In the Korean young man, the pastor starts to choke up when Pastor Tim asks him this. And he goes, Pastor Tim, Pastor Tim, I'm so sorry. You have to pray for me. I'm not very good in my word. He said, Pastor Tim, I know I understand I need to do better. I'm not doing very well, but I only read my Bible once a month. And so Pastor Tim's you know, his alarms are going off, and he goes like, sir, and, uh, and he doesn't really know what to say, but in his mind, he's going like, I'm going to challenge this young man, and I'm going to talk to him about the Word of God, and maybe that's what this divine appointment is, and, and whatever, and so he's talking for maybe the next 60 seconds. They're saying things back and forth, and the man keeps going, I know you have to pray for me. Please forgive me, like, but you have to pray for me, Pastor Tim, because I need help in my Word, And Pastor Tim hears him say a couple things over the next 60 seconds that he goes, Okay, sir, (laughs) sir, are you saying that you only pick up your Bible and read it once a month? Or are you saying to me that you only read from Genesis to Revelation one time a month? And the man goes, Pastor Tim, I know you have to pray for me. He's choked up. He's almost crying. You have to pray for me. I'm not very good at my word. Pastor Tim was like, the whole thing, front to back, you read it once a month? And the man is like, I know, Pastor Tim, you have to pray for me. Pastor Tim's like, like 12 times a year you read this thing? 12 times a year? That man, and Pastor Tim would say, and what he says in the story is like, I thought I was going for a prayer meeting. But God was about to start a journey in me of not just reading his words, but loving them. That young pastor in Korea loves the word of God. He loves the word of God. A.W. Tozer said this, that whatever would keep me from my Bible is my enemy, no matter how harmless it may appear. And that's good. You should take a picture of that. If you're taking notes, you should write it down. This should be something you live your life by when you're scheduling and you're planning out your week and you're planning out your day. This, whatever would keep me from my Bible is my enemy, no matter how harmless it may appear. A.W. Tozer, if you don't know, is a biblical scholar. Um, He was amazing. He has several books that are just so deep and so challenging. A great man of God, someone that you can definitely look at his quotes and say, it's probably solid. Um, And that that is such a good one from him. And the reason he says that whatever would keep him from his Bible is his enemy, no matter how harmless it may appear, is because, guys, this is more than just a book. He's not talking about, like, whatever would keep me from a book is my enemy. No, he, you could insert a lot of words there. Whatever would keep me from my freedom is my enemy. Whatever would keep me from my firm foundation is my enemy. Whatever would keep me from, from understanding and wisdom is my enemy. That's what he's talking about. He understands this is not just a book, and there is something powerful, very powerful in this, that, that the body of Christ in pulpits today are missing, because this is not the focus. They don't know what this says. I don't think it's a coincidence that every time God speaks, Satan comes right behind him to question it. And we read that earlier um, in those verses, and there's other stories. I won't go into all of them. Um, He did it in Genesis. He did it in the desert with Jesus. And, and guys, he does it right here in Thomason, too. (laughs) He does it with you. You guys show up to church on Sundays, and you show up to church on Wednesdays, or you have powerful times of fellowship with each other. It's no coincidence that, like, as soon as you... Are filled up by something that Satan. As soon as you walk out the doors today, Satan's going to go like, "Well, did he? Did I really? Did he really say that? Like, I I think it was just a twenty-five-year-old in there that was talking loud. I don't know that it actually, like, if what he said was true." You know what I'm saying? Satan is always coming to question what God says. So how do we fight the voice and the lies of Satan? Because like I keep pointing out, we have a responsibility in the fight. Like, that, like, we have a responsibility and we're in a fight. So if we're in a fight, there's an enemy, and we know who that is. And what is the enemy doing? What is this tactic? It's fear and it's lying. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy everything that God wants to prosper, everything that God has for you. And so how do we fight that? That's our fight. Three times Jesus said it to him in the wilderness, and this is no coincidence. You guys know what I'm getting at, but he said, it is written. That was his antidote. That was that was his response to Satan, to the lies of the enemy. Jesus fighting his fight on earth was quoting the words of God. Guys, and he was quoting, I don't know if you know this, those three things that he quotes to Satan are from Deuteronomy, which is a book in the Bible that, like, every time I'm reading through my Bible, I get to Deuteronomy, I'm like, ugh, like, I just want to read Psalms and Proverbs. Like, get out of the way. I can't spell it, and I don't want to read anything that's in this book. That is the book that Jesus used to literally rebuke Satan in the wilderness, Deuteronomy. You have to know the Word of God. You have to know what it says. If you're sitting in this room, you have to know what Deuteronomy says. I have, and I'm not just preaching at you guys trying to sound, forgive me if I sound self-righteous. Guys, I'm preaching. I'm hitting myself in the forehead right now. I have to know what Deuteronomy says. You fight the voice of hell with the words of God. So my challenge to you today is I don't believe that there's any person in this room that calls themselves a Christian that doesn't actually believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I believe that, but, my, but I believe that it's time, every person in this room, myself included, it's time for us to go deeper. Like I said, I think this is tremors before the earthquake, and it's not going to get easier to stand on this if it's just you listening to a podcast or reading a version devotion every week. You have to know what the holy word of God says. You have to. It's your responsibility. You wear the crest. You have to know what the word of God says. Ephesians 6.17 says this. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and we've all heard that, But look, here's the parallel I'm drawing, or not a parallel, but the point I want to make. Take the helmet of salvation so you're receiving salvation. And the very next thing, there's not even a comma, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He says, you receive salvation, your next responsibility is to go straight to the Word of God. So if you call yourself a believer, you receive salvation, awesome. Go to the sword of the Spirit. This is is your job now. You've been saved. It's not to like start a new club or start a new small group. And, and I'm, don't hear what I'm not saying. All of those are amazing things that I want to see a lot of. But take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's his very next command. Notice it's the only part of the armor of God that isn't for defense. Guys, it's an offensive weapon that God gives to us because, I keep saying this, we have a responsibility There's a reason that we didn't get saved and just get whizzed up into heaven to be with Jesus for eternity. That would have been so much easier. No, but we have a job to do. And to do our job, you need this. You have to know. I've said it a hundred times, and I'm sorry if you're getting sick of me. You have to know. Every person in this room, there is no one exempt. You have to know what the Word of God says, actually says. Not someone reading it for you. You have to know what it says. Jeremiah 20, 29, 11 says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. And I'm sure if, you, if you're like me, you really love verses like that. <laughs> it's just God telling us, like, I know that the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. And those are good. Those are the types of verses that what I call consumer Christians love. All the ones that are about us and about my freedom, and my breakthrough, and my gifts, and my blessing. They love those verses. Only the verses that are about our benefit. Jeff also pointed this out at our men's group this week. All of the promises of God, and he said this on Sunday service before too, if you've been listening, all of the promises of God come with a requirement. There is only one free gift, and it was salvation. All of the promises of God come with a requirement. So I'm saying this morning, I don't want this to be all doom and gloom. I know that God wants to bless you. Our students, guys, God wants to bless you. He has good things for you. That verse is true. That's the word of God. I know that he wants to bless you. He wants to give you freedom. He wants to give you favor. He wants to give you wisdom. The list goes on and on. But look at this next verse. This is what you guys have to understand. Don't be fooled. John 8, 30-32. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. He said, look, the verse says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Many believed that he was the Messiah, believed what he was saying. So he said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So he says, as you abide, Abide in his word that the truth will set you free. And here's what the word abide means. A lot of time today when we hear the word abide, it's like I will agree to your rules or I will abide by your your request. You know what I mean? It's like an agreement or a tolerance. But if you read the definition like a Webster's definition, there's an archaic version it says, which is kind of like Old English or even further back. And it means this. It's to live or to dwell. And so what does, that imp- what does that imply about the word of God? Guys, it says, as he was saying these things, many people believed in him. Many people believed in him. So he said to the Jews who had believed, if you live in my word, if you dwell in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So what that implies is that there's some serious time spent in the Word of God. I don't hear what I'm not saying. This is all kind of my opinion. I'm not saying I don't know if this is fact based on the Word of God, so I need to say that. But like there's people that would say, like, Will I get up and I just read one verse. I'm like, okay. Like, that's good. If you are consistently reading the Bible when you're opening it and doing stuff, I think the guy I think God can work with that absolutely. But he says. If you abide in my word, abiding in something doesn't mean giving it a quick glance. Abiding in something doesn't mean hearing the word of God only on Sunday mornings, even if you read in your car before you come in, like this is your church day. That's not what living or dwelling in it would look like. The word abide is implying real serious time spent. So who here, I heard this analogy from Pastor Tim, who I've referenced a few times, and it's so good. So who in here takes vitamins? And maybe you've heard this. So, like, I have some vitamins I'm supposed to take or a vitamin, and I'm horrible at taking it and remembering because I, you have to, like, have something on your stomach, and I never eat breakfast, really. I'm horrible at taking vitamins. But, anyway, that doesn't matter. Who here takes one of their vitamins and goes, like, oh, yeah, that's good? I, oh, yeah, I feel the C, the vitamin C rising up in me right now as we speak. I feel the energy, like, cor- coursing through my veins. You know what I'm saying? But that, that's, that's not how vitamins work. Most of the time I take it, and I'm like, oh, that kind of didn't taste good. Yeah. And then I, like, take another swig of water because it tasted horrible. And I'm like, why do I take vitamins? There's, this, this doesn't work. I don't immediately feel stronger. You know, anyway. My point point here, we're talking about the Word of God, even when you don't feel it, it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. It's your job, it's your responsibility to read the Word of God. There are plenty of times where I've gotten up in the morning, and I've been reading my Word, and I'm just reading the words on the page, and I'm understanding what's being said, but I'm not ready to run laps around Thomaston in, like, you know what I mean? I'm not just this, like, inspired ball of passion every time I read the Word of God, but it's still doing, it's still, the Word of God is vitamins. It's still doing what it's supposed to be doing. You have to keep reading it. What if, what if we said, like, if someone said, and they actually have this type of authority or control in your life, like, you can only eat once a week. If someone tried to make me only eat once a week, I would literally fight them. Like, I would, I would claw and throw a fit. Like, there's no way. I'll surely die. And Jesus, like, fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Once a week? Guys, you cannot, you will never get the sustenance you need reading God's word once a week. You'll never get the sustenance that you need. Get that reading the Bible once a week or only hearing the word of God through someone else from a pulpit or from a podcast. You have to know the word of God. He says, if you abide in my words, you have to give God priority. He has to have priority. Remember what Tozer said, that anything that would keep me from time spent in my word is my enemy. It's my enemy, no matter how harmless it may appear. You have to give God priority. Here's the great thought that I've heard brought up before about the word of God and about prayer. And we, I know we've all heard this, and I'm sorry I say that so much. But it's this idea that if Jesus needed to use the word of God to defeat the devil, what makes you think that you are going to find victory without it? Like You're sitting in this room and you have your things and you're bringing these petitions and, and you really believe in the call on your life. and what make, Jesus had to quote scripture to the devil. What makes you think that you don't need this? What makes you think that you don't need this? He set the, pre- the precedent. It is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. He set the precedent. So I've said to people often, um, that I'm trying to disciple, or like if I'm leading students or whoever, I had a small group in Harrison, I, I would always text them this. And so, if you've been around me like closely, you probably get sick of this kind of stuff because I say it all the time, and I'm saying it to me too. But like Nathan Howe's probably heard me say this 50 times, and he it's just like some of the stuff I say, Nathan goes like, Yeah, I know, I know, and like because I've said it a hundred times, but I say that there is no substitute for the word. Of God, you cannot be in this room this morning. Call yourselves a son or a daughter, and say I am going to fulfill what God has called me to here on the earth, and I am going to be responsible for more people entering the kingdom and spending eternity in heaven. And I'm going to do it without knowing the Word of God. No, you can't. You will not. I promise you. I, I've said it to Nathan. I've said it to Ty Brown. I've I've literally said to them like. You will not reach the things and the people that you are trying to get to without this. This, it will only happen when this becomes the most important part of your routine. When this becomes the most important part of your life. This, knowing the word of God and spending time with him. His word, his power, his presence. You cannot do it without it. There's no substitute. You can't quote a podcast, a counselor, or a U-version devotion to the devil to defeat him. It doesn't work that way. You have to know the Word of God. Pastor Tim, who I've referenced a couple times, says this about the Word, and I promise we're getting, we're getting close to the end. I'm sorry this has gone a little long. Um, this is what he says. He says a wordless Christian is a powerless Christian. So Pastor Tim would say, and that's not... Scripture, there's scripture to back it up, but this is what Pastor Tim says, but it's true. If you're a powerless Christian, how are you representing the crest well? How, are, how is it that because of your life, more people are entering eternity? You can't. You have to know what the word of God says. It's, a, it's your responsibility. So who knows, have, have any of you guys heard of Bill Maher? He's, he's a, yeah, a few of you. Um, I don't even know like what he is really, but he's like a political analyst. He has a talk show. Um, my point about him, and I'm not just coming against him, but he's not a believer. I'm gonna read a quote of his in a minute that should sting, and it and it's unfortunately true for the vast majority of believers. Um, but he has a he's like a very left liberal. He does not love God. He's not a believer. He's not a self-identifying Christian. Like the survey. Um, whatever you want to call it, but this is what he says. So he, he's not a believer, but he's seen enough of the people that wear the family crest to, to know what they're all about. This is what he says about, about Christians and their, their Bible. He says that the Bible to Christians today is just like a software license agreement. They don't actually read any of it. They just scroll down to the bottom and click I agree. That should punch you in the gut. That should make you mad. Because, and it should make you mad because it's true. He says the Bible to Christians today is just like a software license agreement. They don't actually read any of it. They just scroll to the bottom and click I agree. Guys, we have to do better. <laughs> it's my challenge this morning. I, it would have been so much easier to come up here and preach and say like, God loves you, and here's all these verses and these cool stories, and guys, but like, I really prayed about this, and I really feel heavily that this is what God wanted to say to our group this morning. Let it take deep root. We have to do better. It's time for the church of Christ to abide, live, dwell in the words of God so that freedom can come in our lives, like that verse said, in our homes, in our schools, in our businesses, in our government, you name it. The time of what we have made the God and the idol of Western Christianity, it's time for it to die. It's time for it to shrivel up and die. And it's time for the body of Christ, the ones wearing the family crest, to stand firm and fight the fight they've been enlisted in with the sword of the Spirit, the truth, the Word of God. If you're a member of this church and have been for some time, you'll know that probably the focal point of everything that um, Pastor Jeff, our fearless leader, says is this. In quotations, I put it in all caps. is long obedience. Several of you probably could have finished that for me. He says it. I mean, I don't think there's ever a Sunday where he doesn't say something about just being obedient sons and daughters. Getting up one day at a time. Being obedient to everything the Father puts in front of you. Long obedience. And I don't think that there's a better thing you could say to the body of Christ over and over and over again. That's what people need to hear. That's the ticket. Long obedience. Here's my point that I would tag on to the end of that. You cannot be fully obedient unless you know what the Word of God actually says. God is not calling you to be obedient to what the church is telling you to do. He's calling you to be obedient to His nudges and His urgings and His teachings and what He's calling you to do. And like I said before, we treat this like a little cherry on top to what our lives are rather than a main ingredient. He left this intentionally. This is what he left. If you've been in church for 10 years, and again, I'll say this is this is my opinion. It's my opinion. But if you've been in church for 10, 15 years and you still hear stories from the Bible that you've never heard before, I think that's a problem. Guys, and I'm talking to me too. I'm I'm talking to me too. But if you've been in church for 10, 15 years and someone says a name or a story and you go, that's there? That's a thing? There's a story in the Bible where kids called a guy a baldy and he brought down curses on them and bears came out of the woods and ate them. Yes, that's literally in the Bible. You know what I'm saying? Like, if if you're hearing stories like that and you go, what? Guys, I think that's a problem. I just don't see how we can fulfill what God has called us to do through his holy word if it takes us our entire lives to read through the book one time. That's my main point. If you had to, if you had to write something on, on your paper or your notepad this morning, if we're called to long obedience, I just don't know how we can fully do that if it takes us our entire lives to read this once. And most of it not, only, not even actually being read by ourselves, we just we hear a verse and we're like, oh, I've heard them say that in church all the time. Some of those verses, I bet we actually have never actually like laid eyes on it in the Bible. It's abiding in his word, guys, and going back to it, not just to read them, but to love them. So let me finish with this statement, and be bold in this this morning. Like this, I know this might feel weird, but if you're in agreement with me, I'm writing, I'm just reading a little statement that I wrote, and then we're going to pray, and the end of it is a little bit of a prayer, and then we're just going to pray out. But if you're in agreement with me when I read this, be bold, just reach your hands up like this towards heaven not for me not so that i can see you reaching your hand but just reach your hands toward heaven as a declaration that you agree with this and pray with me pray with me as i'm praying okay i refuse to i do not believe that we are going to be at city of refuge south the software agreement christians who just scroll to the bottom and click i agree Forfeiting power and freedom in the process. And forfeiting the freedom of others you have been trusted with as a result. City of Refuge South is going to be a church anchored in God's presence and in his holy word. A church that proudly and boldly wears the family crest and is all so very much a part of the fight at hand. So Father, your kingdom come and your will be done. And why not start another mighty move of God here in Thomaston, Georgia, as we reroute ourselves in your word, living every day as obedient sons of daughters, and just watch what you can do. So, Lord, we love you, and we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for your presence, and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're not just a God of mystery, but God, that you left us a roadmap. You left us something to base it on. We don't have to question. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to rely on people. We just have to abide in your word, and we have to refocus the importance of this holy word of God, your words. So, Father, let the words this morning that were spoken from you take deep root in our heart and our lives, that they would produce fruit. Let us be doers of the word and not hearers only, thus walking in deception, God. We ask that you would bless us and keep us as the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy what you've done this morning, God. We ask that you would equip us, give us a desire, give us a hunger for more hunger and a thirst for more thirst of your presence and of your word, God, that we would want to want it more, to love your words, not just to read them. God, we love you. You are all-powerful, and you are mighty, and you are on the throne. We love you. We love you. We love you. We ask all this in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.